Good morning and welcome to Money Talk Extra, your family oriented personal finance program on RTHK Radio 3. I'm Peter Lewis. The reason I'm saying family oriented is because financial education should be applicable to the whole family, not just parents, but also children. This week, we're going to look at how to teach children about money. Jimmy Lamb will speak to a Money Talk Extra listener from a two working parent family to find out the financial implications for both the parents and the child. And in our investment segment, we'll discuss how fintech is changing the way we bank, invest, and access financial services. If you'd like us to help you with any financial advice, please do get in touch. You can email moneytalk at rthk.hk, and you'll also find us on Facebook, Money Talk Extra, on RTHK Radio 3. Given how important financial skills are to navigating life, it's important that we teach our kids at an early age some of the basics of personal finance. Parents are the number one influencers of children's future financial behaviour. So to ensure they are less likely to get into debt, have their homes repossessed, or face other financial difficulties in their adult lives, we need to get them into good habits whilst they are young. To tell us more, I'm joined now by David Kneebone, General Manager of the Hong Kong Investor Education Centre. Good morning, David. Good morning, Peter. How important is it to teach your kids about money? Well, I think it's uh, incredibly important and probably the most important audience that many of us work with. I mean, we often assume that schools give our kids financial education. Is that true? They do, and, and Hong Kong schools have gone to a lot of effort via the Education Bureau to include money management topics into many parts of the Hong Kong curriculum. But it's not a standard subject, not a core subject, and it's not tested. And it's incredibly important for parents to realise that. Um, they can't just rely on a school to teach their children about money. There's a degree of ownership that needs to happen in the home. So how old can children be when you start teaching them some of the basics I would say as, as young as possible. I mean, one of the key things we see with many Hong Kong children, including preschool children, is the use of octopus cards. And it's really important, I think, that as a product, as a great product, but it's very important for kids to know that mum and dad need to work to get the money, to put the money on the card, and that money doesn't just come from an octopus or via a machine on the wall or from a woman at the supermarket who may be able to access and provide money or the 7-Eleven or something like that. Those basic conversations can happen really early and they're usually based around not only where money comes from but what money is. One, one thing that I find striking is the amount of Hong Kong children we see that haven't handled cash and don't necessarily know mm. what it is. Now, while we may be in a cashless society in the future, we're not now. And it's really important for people to understand the, where things come from and what it's used for. So can young children grasp the basics of spending and saving? They can, and there's a couple of things that can speed that up. I think we're in a situation here in Hong Kong where some parents provide pocket money regularly Often, though, parents don't need to because of different points in the year where family provide a lot of money, let's say Chinese New Year, for example, in red packets, which can, for some families, provide a lot of money for some mm. children. Now, what's really good is whether you give a regular amount or rely on those one-off boosts is to help your child with a budget. And there lies the basis of a conversation about needs and wants and all the tough lessons that might exist around having goals and meeting them or not being able to meet them and the ramifications and, and, and uh, other, uh, other issues around not making those goals. So it sounds like then the key is not just talking about 
financial education, but doing things, making children learn in practical ways. Absolutely. And I'd extend that to the, the case of saying there's a number of online games available and I'd encourage parents listening to have a look at the Chin Family Parenting uh, web pages that exist on our website. But when you do your own budget and when you talk about money in the house, I'd encourage you to have that conversation with mm-hmm. and in front of the children, not just for your own family's budget, but when you're thinking about the mandatory provident fund and your contributions. Why does it exist? Make sure your child knows. Insurance. Why do you need to insure everything in the house? If you have a car, why do you need to insure that? If you Mm. have life insurance or medical insurance, why is it important? The younger we teach children, the more likely it is by the time they get to their teenage years or later in life when they're earning, they'll be able to work with those financial products or services in a more informed way. So they're less likely then to get themselves into financial trouble, whether it be debt or repossession, things like that. Hopefully. I mean, one of the challenges we can often see is when children, uh, especially teenage children, have access to online purchasing, be it music, gaming or various other Mm -hmm. things. They can get carried away without some boundaries. And so helping people understand, again, budgeting techniques, how credit cards work, and preparing them effectively for those crucial first experiences is really, really important. Don't just rely on octopus. (laughs) So giving them practical examples of financial lessons that we know as adults, like sometimes you have to wait and save for things that you want. You can't just have it when you want it. Absolutely, that's one way. Of course, a goal may demand that you borrow and understanding what debt is and how to pay it back and what Mm -hmm. high interest debt versus low interest debt. All those things are really important. But again, there's costs that come with all those things. There's costs that come with one MPF fund over another. There's different fee structures. You can over-insure, you can under-insure. Now, if you're uncomfortable talking to your children about those issues or you want information, then there's a a whole lot of information that's available here in Hong Kong, independent and partial information to assist you, including from your bank, including from professionals that work in the area or groups like the Chin family. And when's a good time then to get your children operating a bank account, for example? Um, I think it's probably a good idea to have a a chat with your bank around that because some have distinct rules Mm. around ages. But my preference would be as early as possible. So is it important to set a good example yourself? So if you tell your children they've got to work hard, save their cash, buy things when they need to and can afford to, is it important you do that yourself as a parent? Very much so. But I think what's even more important, Peter, is to be open about money and talk about money. And unfortunately, Mm. that is still an issue in many Hong Kong families and households. It's not uncommon. It's the same in other economies and jurisdictions, as as I mentioned earlier. But having said that, be open not just about your successes and what you think needs to happen in the ideal sense, but also things you may have done wrong so your children don't make the same mistakes. Now, these days, a lot of purchases aren't made with notes and coins. They're done electronically through the internet or on smartphones using e-wallets, cashless payments. I suppose that makes money for children seem less real, doesn't it? So how would you get kids connected with money so that it does seem real and, and they grasp its value? Well, you're absolutely right. And the trend is that we're moving towards a cashless society. And I don't know what the period is will be there, but we'll be there probably before too long. Yes, I do believe it's important that children handle cash and see coins and understand what they are. In many situations in Hong Kong, you can't use debit cards currently or Mm -hmm. 
automatic payment cards or various other things. You've got to you still use cash. So um, it's very important that people understand how to get cash, the fact that you have to work for it mm. or earn money off investments to get that cash in the first place and then have it physically in their hands and understand what denominations are. And how do we make it fun? We want to make financial education fun for children. How do we do that? Well, having a goal and then meeting that goal, despite what it may be, is often incredibly satisfying and also a wonderful lesson, not just for financial management later in life, but life generally. Watching kids achieve goals is very satisfying for both them and parents usually. It's also important for parents to continue the pressure on their individual schools to see them embrace financial education and to take that further. We're very, very keen to see more happen in classroom. There are a number of extracurricular activities that are available from a variety of, of community groups and banks or groups like the Chin family. And if parents put pressure on schools, we're more likely to see that happen. Thanks, David. That's David Kneebone, General Manager of the Investor Education Centre. Having a new member in your family is a joyful experience, but it also leaves parents with a big decision to make if both of you are working. That's who will take care of the child. As our society becomes more open and free of gender stereotypes, many women, including working mums, rise to top management level and hence feel more reluctant to give up their career to be a housewife taking care of the children. But what's the impact on children growing up in a family with both parents working? Jimmy Lamb went to speak to our listener, Vicky Chan, who is a working mum with an eight-year-old daughter, and here's some of her concerns. I'm morning, Vicky. Uh, you and your husband are both working full-time. Um, so who takes care of your child right now? Um, we hire a domestic helper. She's from Indonesia, and she takes care of our eight-year-old daughter. And as uh, working moms and dads, uh, is there any impact on your child? Well, I think the impact is we don't have much time to spend with our daughter because my husband and I have very long working hours, so we feel our daughter is a bit distant from us. And what about the uh, financial impact? Uh, Yes, because I cannot follow my daughter's homework and studies very closely, so I signed her up for some tutorial classes to make sure she does well at school. And that's around $3,000 each month. And is that a big burden for your family uh, financially? I would say it's okay so far, not a big burden, but I'm also thinking of not working. Then I can stay at home to take care of my daughter. And do you think it's financially uh, feasible for you to uh, not work? Actually, that's the question I want some advice. Because my husband earns slightly more than me, he's on around 30k and I'm at 20k. We spend about 20k each month. So if I don't work, the money we save each month will be reduced by three times. And uh, what are the main considerations of you choosing um, to work or not to work? I think my daughter is always the main consideration. I read in newspaper that parents need to spend more time with children when they are young. If not, it may impact the child's growth and development. So I don't want to miss the time when my daughter needs me the most. 
Okay, and uh, lastly, um, what questions um, do you have for our advisor? Uh, the most difficult decision that I need to make is whether I should quit my job. Because I feel after I have become a mom, my attention is all on my daughter and I want to leave work on time. But in reality, in my workplace and my team, many people have OT, including my boss. They stay really late. I fear if I don't do the same, it may affect my chances of getting promotion. Also, I worried if my daughter's competitiveness will be harmed as we do not have enough money to support. There are a lot of competitions within the school. I want her to rank higher so she can get in a good secondary school. And to get into a second good secondary school, she may need to have a lot of non-academic skills like piano or ballet. So I want our family to have enough financial support for her activities. You heard there from our listener Vicky, who has a dilemma between choosing to continue her job and contributing to the family income, or becoming a housewife to repair the relationship with her daughter. To get her some advice, Jimmy spoke to registered social worker Rachel Chu. It's a very difficult decision to make for mums like our listener Vicky, choosing between her job and her child, isn't it? So,、uh, what's your view on this, and do you think she should quit her job or not? Mm, if you see it as mutual exclusive, then yes, it is a difficult decision. But job and child can coexist and benefit each other. On the contrary, if one parent doesn't have a job, he or she tends to link their success or failure to the relationship between them and the child, and this gives extra pressure to the interaction between the parent and the children. And、uh, studies find that for parents to have multiple roles, like、uh, at work their employees and at home their parents, then this tends to give more satisfaction in their lives. And、um, in Vicky's case, looking at her and her husband's income, I think it's better for her to continue to work. And that will surely、um, relieve some of the pressure on、uh, Vicky's husband, like what you mentioned. Yes, definitely. If it's only Vicky's husband contributing to the family income, the psychological effect on the husband will be huge. And also, we need to be prepared for the worst, like、uh, economic downturn, some jobs being replaced, etc. And therefore, having a two working parent family is more financially stable than a sole breadwinner. And that will bring、uh, more income um, stability um, to the family. But what about the relationship、uh, between Vicky and her daughter? And her daughter, because、um, she mentioned she feels a bit distant from her daughter. What can Vicky do to try to repair the relationship? Do you think? Mm, since Vicky's daughter is eight year old, and it's a good time to educate her about money and work, and、uh, explain how hard working her mom is, and、uh, importance of both mom and dad working is、uh, also can bring her a better future. And to bring relationship closer, Vicky can also call her daughter during lunchtime, for example, to talk about things. And on weekends, Vicky and her husband can share with their daughter what they have experienced at work. Sometimes it's all about the quality of the family time, but not the quantity, isn't it? 
Absolutely. People always forgot about the quality. And if you spend a lot of time with a child, but actually you are using your smartphone and not paying attention, then those times are not really family time. And it's better to set aside some time to dedicate fully to the child. And actually, studies have found a child growing up with both parents working can be more independent, and、um, make、uh, they can also make decision or solve problems themselves, which in turn benefit the child. And what about another point?、Um, Vicky mentioned that it's、uh, her OT over time, and it looks like、uh, Vicky needs to stick with long working hours if、mm. she wants to keep her present job. I think、uh, maybe talking with the manager and try to arrange flexible working arrangement. For example, like、uh, maybe coming in earlier or to leave on time, and、uh, also possible to bring some work to do at home while she can also see her daughter, or maybe look for another job that fits her schedule. And. Could be、uh, sensible for、uh, Vicky to choose a slightly lower-paid job、um, that would allow her to have kind of a better work-life balance. Definitely, I think it's important to feel valued at work. There are so many working moms in the workforce now, and I think、um, companies are generally well aware of their needs and should be considerate enough to make appropriate work arrangement for them. And、uh, before I let you go, Rachel,、um, any other advice that you'd like to share with our、uh, listener, Vicky? I heard Vicky mention she's hiring a domestic helper to take care of her child, and another economical way could be to ask Vicky's parent or parents-in-law to do the job instead. And、uh, I heard Vicky has arranged tutorial class for her daughter,、um, and some tutorial classes may allow the kids to stay for extended period to complete the homework. And effectively, like、uh, her daughter、um, can stay in the tutorial center during the daytime, and maybe let、uh, Vicky or her husband to come to pick her up after work. Yes, that way her daughter is taken care of in the tutorial center, and that. That's a better use of the money as well. And another point for two working parent families to work is definitely the participation of all family members, and that includes Vicky's husband. For example, there's some housework and grocery shopping that the family needs to do, and those work can be allocated between Vicky, Vicky's husband, and their daughter. So it could be a, like an education. For the daughter as well. Exactly, and that way the children can recognize the importance of their contribution and will become more mature and have a better understanding of a family's income and expenses as well, and so that the child can be more conscious when it comes to using money, and that can help the family finance as well. Registered social worker Rachel Chu. Financial technology, or fintech as it is known. Is a fast-growing and disruptive sector. Fintech companies are chipping away at pieces of the financial services industry, providing products and services once exclusively available through financial institutions. These include areas such as banking, insurance, personal finance, and wealth management, where fintech companies are often providing new, better, and cheaper products and services. 
The SAR government has a policy of attracting more fintech startups to the territory. And the 23rd to 27th of October is Fintech Week in Hong Kong, when fintech entrepreneurs, investors, inventors and regulators will convene in Hong Kong. So how are fintech companies changing our financial lives and what can we look forward to in the future? With me now is Veronica Kuznetsova, Managing Director of Supercharger Fintech Accelerator. Good morning, Veronica. Good morning. In what sort of ways is fintech changing our financial world? Well, fintech is an exciting combination between technology and finance and essentially drives much better way for everyday customers like you and me to access their traditional financial services and products. But it also creates some new ones um, that are very exciting and essentially offer new opportunities for people to um, lead better financial lives. So what is it that consumers want to do differently or better that's really driving the growth of fintech companies? So if you think about, you know, what we consider fintech, um, the main things that come to mind are, you know, for example, digital banking, everything to do with um, doing uh, banking on your mobile phone, so mobile mm -hmm. apps, uh, websites. Uh, but most importantly, it also impacts the, the, the back end of how services are provided and distributed. So in essence, it means that we can have much faster access to our uh, financial products. You know, we can do payments much easier, much faster. We can uh, borrow as well much easier, much faster. But also because of the efficiencies on the back end, it means that providers can offer lower cost services as well. So it's also cheaper. But most importantly, it leads to amazing customer experience. So it sounds like there's almost no limits to what we could do. We could do things like track our spending, um, apply for a loan, do investment strategies. This could all be done now online. Yes, absolutely. And better than before as well. Essentially, fintech is the future of finance. So I, I believe that every consumer, every customer should um, not only try, but get used to uh, using fintech solutions in their every, everyday life. So there are a lot of apps out there now more and more than what are the advantages of doing this on your smartphone? Absolutely. Um, so from day-to-day -day banking, of course, um, there are some completely digital banks now where you don't even have to go to the branch. You can do everything from account opening to transactions to managing your portfolio as well online or on a mobile app. Um, that is much more convenient, uh, less costly, um, and it's also a lot more fun, a lot more engaging. So how are the traditional finance companies responding to this? Because I presume, really, you don't need to go into a bank anymore, a physical bank, if you can do everything online. Yeah, so a saying that I really like is that, you know, people need banking. They don't necessarily need banks. So essentially, there are a lot of things that are changing. Um, I'm a big fan of, for example, you know, doing tr stock trading online or mobile app. There's a lot of free brokers out there now that you could just use it on your, your mobile. Um, also, there's a lot of advisors that are not necessarily human. So there's robo advisors um, and they offer um, a lot more access to more information that is 
objective. There's powerful engines that look through a lot of information and they compare a lot of different providers at the same time to offer you um, the best option for you, really. So um, the banks, so the traditional finance service institutions are looking to partner with those fintech companies and adopt some of these technologies to offer better services to their existing clients and also offer new product and services to new customers. So robo-advising that you mentioned, this is a topic we've talked about before on Money Talk Extra. I mean, this is an example of a fintech solution that seems to be rapidly growing, becoming more and more popular. Um, It seems to be, yes. Uh, I am a huge fan of it as well because I also come, I lived in UK before, so I come from there. A lot more people Mm. use robo-advisors. But I think in the local market here in Hong Kong, people need to trust technology a little bit more um, in order to drive higher adoption. And um, essentially, it can bring a lot of benefits. There's a lot more access to different products if you use something like, you know, a fintech service such as robo-advisor. And more and more will come um, and be will become available to the everyday consumer. And is one of the reasons why people are not picking up on it maybe here in Hong Kong so quickly? Are they concerned about maybe privacy, data security issues? On the other hand, yes, uh, I think it's a, a cultural issue as well. Uh, it's, it's mostly related to trust. There really aren't many examples where, uh, you know, using a mobile app as, as your finance provider or service provider is more dangerous than, than going to the branch. But um, on the other hand, it's just education as well. You tend to use things you're familiar with. And I think that it's a great investment of time and energy to just find out more about what fintech solutions are available out there. And what does fintech mean for employers? Because employers provide us with financial arrangements such as pensions, for example. So does this allow employers to offer more solutions, more tools, be more scalable than before? Absolutely. Um, fi- you know, pension planning is is a huge thing. Um, as a millennial, for me, I, I can invest a lot more in high risk portfolios, you know, equity portfolios, etc. Uh, but I also tell my parents as well that their their usual pension provided by um, their employer is probably not going to be enough now that they're likely to live much longer. So they should definitely look into, you know, investing in funds, um, doing robo advisory solutions and um, Um, you know, looking into a lot of different alternatives. So this should help offer better retirement plans, more choice, make it easier to switch, make it easier to take it with you when you change employers? Yes, a lot more flexible, definitely. And also with a lot of uh, fintech solution related to identity, um, it it will be much more of a seamless process to switch between providers and to essentially sign up for new services. So the ultimately, you should have a digital identity where it's much easier to sign up to new financial products and services without having to go through lengthy onboarding process. And that digital identity really goes with you everywhere, whoever you work for, whatever you do. Absolutely. There's already examples in other countries of that. And I think Hong Kong is is, is definitely going to follow in that direction sooner or later. And presumably also a lot cheaper as well. Absolutely. It's much better value, uh, both in terms of onboarding, but also ongoing service. Veronica, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That was Veronica Kutznetsova from Supercharger Fintech Accelerator. Thank you very much for listening to Money Talk Extra this weekend. I hope you've enjoyed the programme. Next week, we're going to look at cashless payments. Jimmy Lam will explore the financial aspects of being a singer with a Money Talk Extra listener. 
And I'll kick off a series looking at investing in Asia's frontier markets, starting with Sri Lanka. So please do join Jimmy and me next Saturday at the same time. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis, hoping you have a great weekend. Bye for now. Five six seven a.m. Radio three. The chief executive will release her policy address on October the eleventh. The full text will be available on the website www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Copies of the full text and a leaflet will be available at Home Affairs Enquiry Centres and at the footbridge entrance to the central government offices at Tamar that afternoon. You will also be able to collect the leaflet at major MTR stations, shopping centres, and other selected locations. Radio Three's annual writing competition is back. This year, we're partnering up with Hong Kong Free Press and Pen Hong Kong to bring you Hong Kong's Top Story 2017. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, which is why this year's theme is a photo by renowned photographer Fan Ho. So go check it out at our Facebook page, RTHK Radio Three, or our website, Radio Three dot RTHK dot HK. Take a look at the picture and get inspired. Send us your story in less than two thousand words and send it to topstory at rthk dot hk. There are some great prizes to be won, so submit your story by the tenth of November. Hong Kong's Top Story two thousand and seventeen. Visit the Radio Three homepage for more details. Good morning. This is Radio Three. The weather forecast for today: sunny periods. It will be hot and dry during the day, with a maximum temperature of about thirty-two degrees. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, and the outlook is for fine and dry tomorrow. It's going to be cloudy with showers in the following couple of days. There is a yellow fire danger warning in force, and the temperature right now in Hong Kong is twenty-nine degrees, seventy-four percent relative humidity. Judd Boas is coming up with the juice right after the nine o'clock news.